Welcome to The Right Side with Ned Ryan, Episode 3. My hope with this podcast is not only to give you thoughts and opinions and ideas on current events, but also to have interesting guests, to be able to talk about some of their experiences, either in politics uh, or in the conservative movement. So I figured one of, the, one of the more interesting people I know happens to be related to me. Uh, people, when they see my last name spelled R-Y-U-N, uh, typically if they're uh, the generation or the age group in their 60s and 70s, uh, their first question uh, usually is, your name is spelled funny, are you related to, and then I usually finish their question, to Jim Ryan, yes I am. So uh, my father, Jim Ryan, is of course, uh, for those of you that have followed the uh, world of track and field, uh, was the world record holder in the mile, 1500 meters, the half mile, uh, and then uh, in 1996, ran for Congress in the 2nd District of Kansas, and won, and was in Congress for five terms, for 10 years. And over the course of that time, served on financial services, uh, budget, armed services, and I feel like I'm missing a committee there. No, you, you Did I get them all? You got them all through. Did I get them all? Yeah. So, so it, it's with real pleasure that I'm having my dad, uh, Jim Ryan, on with me today to discuss a couple things that we've discussed recently uh, over the past couple days about budget, about taxes, again, because these are some of the committees that he served on in Congress between 1996 and 2006. And so, you know, you called me, I think it was three days ago, two days ago, about the budget and about static versus dynamic scoring. And this is one of the things that I think is kind of an interesting aspect of how the CBO rates and scores um, budgets. Uh, and, and so I really want you to maybe explain to those listening what does it mean, static versus dynamic scoring in regards to a budget? So just lay it out and explain to, to the listeners what that really means. Well, first of all, Ned, it's a pleasure to be on with you. And uh, I thank you for allowing me to talk on one of the subjects that is near and dear to my heart. I ran as a full-spectrum conservative uh, wanting to see the government shrink because it has way too much money uh, too and, intrusive and, in our lives. And, and by the way, the most conservative member of Congress in 2006, according to is either National Journal yeah, or Congressional Quarterly. Journal. So not not uh, is somebody that you, you voted uh, your beliefs, and that's one of the things where you know I tell people when you came to Congress, a lot of people will come and, and say one thing and do another, but you came and for 10 years demonstrated time and time again. This is what it actually means to be a conservative, and as you say, you know, a comprehensive conservative across the spectrum. So, but back to budget. Well, first of all, you sleep better at night when you say what you're going to do and then actually do it. So That's right. I thank God for the those wonderful years. Now, the, the difference between static scoring and dynamic scoring is probably best if people and you look and think about it in terms of a, a word picture is government versus people. So when they right. put together a tax program. Uh, they're looking at how much money it's going to take out of revenues uh, to uh, give back to the individual. So let's just take a number, $500 billion. I don't know what it's going to exactly be. So you have that much less money to spend on government programs. And so that, uh, when you look at it from a static point of view, it just says that's, that's minus that amount of money, and therefore how are you going to pay these programs in the future. So you're essentially saying this is, with, with static scoring, we're, we're giving the American taxpayer their money back. It's well, their money. We are, but we get, that's when you go to the dynamic aspect of it. Right. Because when you look at static, you're looking at just black and white, so to speak. 
that much less money in terms of what the government actually has. So when it goes to dynamic scoring and the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, and should I say liberal Democrats and those that want large government, don't really like to talk about dynamic aspect of it because that's empowering the individual. And so on the dynamic side, that means you're taking money from the government, giving it back to the people, and usually they do one of three things, or maybe all three things, they either spend, save, or invest. That's right. And, and saving right now is like putting your money into a mattress. It's really not doing anything. So if you invest and you spend, you're helping the economy grow, and you're allowing that money to be used in something other than government programs. So I want to. So static scoring in your mind, with you know, really the CBO using static scoring and, and Democrats adhering to it. I would maybe say a different way to look at it is the statist approach to looking at this whole issue of how you score it because, first of all, uh, they lack a certain amount of creativity. They don't believe in a free market approach. They don't believe in giving money back to the people who actually made it. Um, but they're also – there's a lot of self-interest yes. in, in part of this. and. Yes. I know that you have pretty strong opinions and feelings about CBO. I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but what is your opinion of the Congressional Budget Office? Uh, I, I was never really fond of it because in, in this case, for example, you're not really getting the full picture. You're not allowing people to see just what, if they get more of their money back, just how the economy, the GDP, the Congress, you know, that can grow. And that's a very important part of this equation. No one knows for sure just how you're going to spend your money, that's right. but it's going to grow faster than the government. No, and I think you hit an interesting point there really quick. That First of all, let's remind people, and I hope this is obvious for them to understand, government does not create money. It only takes money. It only repurposes money that is created, the wealth is created by individuals. And so... The, the other thing, though, that you and I have discussed is CBO has a vested interest. These, these bureaucrats have a vested interest in a more static approach. Self-preservation. It's self-preservation. It is self-preservation because they don't want to see the government lose money. They don't want government giving money back to the people. Again, it's all about self-preservation. And, and that's one of the things that I think is a very interesting debate right now in understanding how many uh, federal employees there are how we have to shrink the size of government, how we, you know, thankfully President Trump put a, uh, a hold, a freeze, hiring freeze on new federal employees. But that's just the start because we are spending so much money on funding this government that has now gone well above and beyond what I think was originally intended. Let me, let me go back just a tiny bit to the tax cuts that Kennedy did, Reagan did, and Bush did. Now, under those particular programs, the GDP grew at a reasonable rate, 3% or better. Uh, right now under Trump, we're looking at 3%. It was 3.5% actually under under Reagan. And, oh, by the way, he shut down government eight times. He did. And if you look at Obama, when Obama was in charge of everything under his administration, we're looking at an anemic like 1.6%. So that means there's no growth. There's no uh, better than when you first started working. So whenever you can shrink government, that means you continue to keep them from adding on future obligations, which grows government. When you empower the individual, and that's the contrast I would make for your listeners, do you want to empower government or do you want to empower the individual? I'm in favor of the individual because uh, it's, it's where we need to go as a country. It's a free cap capitalistic world. And, and I think the thing that's really short-sighted about some of these people that are looking at static scoring, um, if you're giving more money back to the people to either invest in jobs, to invest in businesses, to invest in, in whatever they're going to invest in, you're actually creating more revenue. Therefore, you're going to create more tax revenue. You are, so you grow the revenue base. You actually could increase, and I don't want to see government spending increased, 
but you could actually see an increase in government spending because you've actually increased the tax base. You you've have, grown. and that's something that is so often overlooked is that when you give people money, again, they spend, save, or invest, two of those are going to bring more revenue into the government, and that means they have more money to spend. Then comes the discipline of those who want to see a smaller government of not allowing government to grow, uh, and that's that's the hard part about this equation. But uh, again, we need to go with the dynamic aspect of it because it's best for our country and best for the individual. That's right. So, uh, you know, as you're looking at some of the tax reform debates that are taking place, um, I, I, I guess you knowing how Congress works <laughs> and knowing that we are basically uh, – we are in November now. Uh, we are very short on the congressional calendar. I would say there's just literally weeks left, maybe a few weeks on, on official congressional calendar I don't think they're going to pass tax reform before the end of the year. I really don't. Well, I, I'm not quite that convinced that they won't. It'll be a very hard push. But uh, what has to be done, and I think they'll do that very shortly, is actually announce the actual tax plan. As it is, there are speculative comments about what's going to happen, what, what's going to be in the tax bill. Once that's done, then you can begin the process of, of voting. And if, if both the House and the Senate will remain in Monday through Friday and maybe even a Saturday <laughs> session, there is that possibility. It would be nice to you know maybe have a real work schedule for you, these guys. You mean not go home for uh, four or five weeks uh, in August and uh, you know celebrate doing nothing? I think the thing I'd want to know, too, as you're looking at tax reform, if you were to say, I, I would want these three things, if nothing else happened, these three things absolutely have to happen in tax reform, what would they be? You know what? You can make it four, but at least three. Well, I, I like to keep the, the uh, if you will, the charitable donations in there. I don't know how whether that will stay. Uh, I, you know, I, again, that, that to me is shocking that we're even having this conversation yeah. about mortgage uh, interests, about 401Ks, about charitable deductions. There's part of me that thinks some of the Republican leadership has lost their minds in regards to common sense. Well, and, and so those are some charitable deductions, mortgage uh, interest. Uh, but here's, here's one that really kind of is getting a lot of pushback from members, and that is the deduction of, of taxes from the more expensive states like New York right, right. and state, California. State, state income tax State deductions. income taxes. And so as a result of their high taxes in those states – uh, they're paying for – I mean the, the people that are more economical, that are sm smarter in how they spend the money, they're paying for these high-tax states. To red, me, that's all wrong. I, it's, red, red, red states have been funding blue states and, and been, been funding blue states' very uh, poor approach to spending. I would say – I mean if you were to ask me the four things that I would really want in tax reform, I mean I want a 15 percent corporate tax. I think we're probably going to end up at 20 uh, the small business uh, reduction from 40, essentially 40% to 25% to me is one of the most dynamic ones. And this is the one that really frustrates me when, they sit, when people are arguing that this is not middle-class tax reform. Most of the small business owners, of which there are about 30 million, uh, are middle-class. And so this really is a massive tax cut for the middle class if you look at this small business tax cut. Because guess what? You and I both know this. Most of these people are, are, are middle class. They're going to be hiring a lot of people in the middle class. They're going to be able to give pay raises to people in the middle class. And so when people say this is not a middle class, class tax cut, it frustrates me. The other thing that I really would love to see happen um, is the repatriation of our, of our revenue mm, yes, sitting overseas. Absolutely. Um, you know, anywhere from $2.6 to $4 trillion. Again, Democrats should be thrilled with that. If a 10% tax holiday, you're putting $260 billion to maybe $400 billion back into government coffers. So, so how I would like to see this resolved 
is to put them in a room, feed them pizza and whatever else they want to eat until <laughs> they get it finished. And that's how you get business done here. And that is when you put them in a room and say you've got to come out with something that's uh, workable and get it out on the house floor, uh, then you'll start to see where people stand on these things. But until there's there's pressure right now, but is there enough to make them get it done by the end of the year? I think there is, but it comes down to Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. Will they require their members to stay in? And that yeah. remains a question. It remains a question, and you and I both know when members get into an election year, whatever small uh, dose of political courage they might have had disappears rapidly. Yeah, very quickly. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm trying to keep these episodes to about 15 minutes. As we're, we're about three or four minutes left in that, I want to ask one of your favorite stories, just any favorite story that you have from your time in Congress. You know, Ned, there's, there's, a, there's a number of them, but I'll, I'll highlight one uh, that my staff had especially a big chuckle over and I still reflect on. Now, I served on uh, three different committees, uh, but two of them were just down the hall from each other in Rayburn, uh, armed services and financial services. And on one particular day, we were having a markup in both of them, meaning a markup means you're putting a bill together. So I had just finished. I have staff in both of those rooms. I had just finished with the the amendment in armed services, and I'm now walking back to financial services. Uh, I have a staffer in there who's listening to me or knows what I want to do. And so protocol is you walk in the door, and just to buy a little time, you say, Madam Chair, how am I recorded? Now, you know you're not recorded, but then you turn to your staffer and say, how how am I voting on this particular amendment? And so on this occasion, it was a yes. So I said, Madam Chair, put me down as a yes. Now, a very liberal member, and I'm talking about way over on the left, followed behind me, and again, protocol is you say, Madam Chair, how, uh, how am I recorded? Well, in this case, he said, Madam Chair, how is Congressman Ryan reported, uh, recorded? I was a yes. He said, if Congressman Ryan's a yes, put me down as a no. And that, that's... <laughs> Didn't even really know what the issue was, did he? <laughs> no, I, if he did, he was just going to make sure he had that contrast in there. And that, unfortunately, is sometimes how decisions are made here. Not so much because it's the correct thing, but rather that's, you know... <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I remember that story. That's very funny. I think one of my favorite stories since, since I, I asked you is... Um, you know, Jay Dickey, who's, who's since passed away, was one of your colleagues out of Arkansas. And a good friend. And a, and, a, and a great guy. Lots of fun. Great golfer, by the way. Yes. And I remember talking to him one time, and he said, you know, the amazing thing about your dad, Ned, is that many of these members of Congress walk the halls thinking that they are all that. Um, and you and I both know they are not all that. He's like, your dad, very few of us, very few people in the world have the ability to say at any given time they were the very best at what they did in the entire world. And your dad can say that. But the way that he walks the halls of Congress, the way that he treats his fellow colleagues and staff, you would never know that. And it's telling that his behavior really demonstrates his character. And I just remember that story of Jay. Uh, We were actually walking the halls of Congress when he told me that. So. You know, it, it, it was quite the quite the time. Ten years, really yeah. interesting people you got it to was. meet, interesting stories, and and, uh, and it, that's all by the grace of God, Ned. Because you know, I felt it was a great honor to serve the people of the second district, and consider uh, what your mom and I did there as a real privilege in helping Kansans. Folks, it's been a real privilege to have my dad, Jim Ryan, on uh, this episode of the Right Side. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Again, uh, this is your dose of conservative realism in an increasingly irrational world.